today, this is what the Lord said to me, and I'm quoting now. He gave me a script, he gave me a, a, a scripture, but he gave me a quotation and he referenced a scripture. This is what he said. This season, he's talking about this coronavirus season, is to be marked by strength. Hallelujah. Faith that overcomes according to 1 John 5, 4. He quoted 1 John 5, 4. Nothing but victory. I said, Lord, that's the, that's the title you gave me for a little while back when I preached about Samson. Nothing but victory. He, quote, he said that again to me. Let me repeat that. This season is to be marked by strength. Faith that overcomes, according to 1 John 5, 4, nothing but victory. Strength is victory. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. (laughs) And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Two requirements for victory. You got to be born of God, born of his spirit, and you got to have faith. A lot of Christians are born of the spirit going to heaven, but they got no faith. That's why they don't overcome the world. You can't, and a lot of, a lot of people out there, I hear secular people talk about it. You know how the trend is, oh God bless you. You know how you hear these devils, they're possessed with devils. And they're just carnal as the day is long, and they're 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 not in sin. They're un, they're they're enveloped by sin, yeah. and yet they've got this these little phrases you'll hear them say on the talk show. Oh, God bless you, God. They don't know what they're talking about. God bless you, and they're not qualified to say it because God is not their God. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. So a lot of people out there that aren't even born of the Spirit try to have faith, right. but you can't have victory unless you're born of the Spirit. And you can't have victory unless you're born of the Spirit with faith. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. That's 1 John 5, 4. If I were you, I'd memorize it. If I were you, I'd start to say it out loud a lot because God's been emphasizing this to me, which means he's emphasizing it to you because you're under me. Now, he said these words, this season is to be marked by strength. Oh my God, Jenny, that is just like God. Every, the world freaks out, Christians casting off restraint in, in, in other churches, pastors shaking in their boots, money failing, jobs failing, and God looks at us and he says, hey, this season has to be marked by strength. He doesn't give a second for weakness and failure. He expects us to overcome, why? Faith that overcomes according to 1 John 5, 4. Nothing but victory. So it's to be marked by strength. It's to be marked by, now not only are you as a believer that are born again, you're born of the spirit and you have faith, but you're also part of a local church that is birthed and born of the spirit with a candlestick in place to occupy a place in the spirit and to have a seat of authority. And this church has faith. I mean, not just the individual people, but I mean the corporation. We have been birthed by God and we're operating in faith. And we are as a church, so to speak, corporation-wise, is going to overcome. And you as an individual member of this church is born of the Spirit. And if you've got faith, which I've been teaching you, so if you don't, something's wrong with you because you're not opening up your heart. But if you're listening to what I'm preaching, you're born of the Spirit and you've got faith. That means you personally overcome. Jenny, that means the church overcomes, the corporation, so to speak, promise of life as a as an, as an organization overcomes and every individual member that makes up that organization is individually overcoming. That means our budget as an organization is going to be met. That means that your budget is going to be met. That means that our numbers are not going to go down in terms of our growth rate and your numbers for what you're believing God in your life are not going to go down. Praise God. Because he said, I expect this, this season is to be marked. Now, Jenny, if he said is to be marked, it means it is possible not to mark. It's possible that it not be marked by strength. It's possible that it be marked by weakness and whining and no, 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 no. That's not the spirit of faith. The spirit of faith is strong. And the spirit of faith says, I don't care what I see, what I feel, or what the news says. I'm moved by what I know God inside me is saying, what his word says, what the spirit is saying, what my pastor who hears from God is saying. And I'm in agreement and my attention and focus and a cooperation and agreement is on Jesus and I will overcome. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what my bank account says. God will make it back to me. I will not end this season unless I will end the season and more. God wants it to be marked by strength, strength. And he's been speaking. 
Let me remind you in Jesus' name what he's been saying. This will take about 30 seconds, but let me remind you what he's been saying. Number one, the first service, February, uh, uh, Wednesday, March 25th, he talked about Jairus. Remember? Only believe. That was Mark 5. Then Friday the 27th, he talked about don't let, don't relax your grip of faith. Because like Joshua and the Israelites, you're occupying a place in the spirit. And you have to hold your faith when you're occupying that. Don't let it go. That was all from Joshua chapter 1. And then he also talked on that same message about the faith starts with a fight, but it ends in rest. Yeah. And how the Israelites had a place of rest. And how Hebrews 4 talks about the rest of faith. That was Friday night. That was awesome. Both of those were awesome messages. And not because I'm awesome, because the word is rich. Then Sunday, the 29th, he talked about that he's prepared a place for us. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. And that we're occupying, remember from the Friday night, we're occupying the place that he's prepared. We're occupying it. And just like, and then he gave the Genesis 26 reference about Isaac, how Isaac was occupying the place that God had prepared for him. And that in a famine time, Isaac sowed, God told him two things, stay put and sow, S-S, easy to remember. Stay put, don't leave the land, don't go down to Egypt where it's flourishing. Stay right here in the famine because I've prepared a place to bless you here. And he didn't even tell him to sow, he just had enough common sense to know if it's famine and God told me to stay, I better put some seed in the ground. Otherwise, how, well, I've got to give God something to work with. Yeah. Otherwise, he's got nothing to reap. So God didn't even tell him to sow. Now, we believe that we have to be led by the Spirit. But what I'm trying to say to you is you don't even technically need the Holy Ghost to tell you to sow. It's just common sense that you sow. You've got to put some seed in the ground so you can reap something, especially if you're in famine. And when God has said, don't go, stay put, I've, I've prepared a place to bless you. Amen. So that Sunday, he talked about 1 Corinthians 2, 9, preparing a place and about how as we occupy that place, we are to stay put and sow, Genesis 26. That was a powerful message. Then Monday night at prayer meeting, at the end of it, I got in the spirit and I saw that umbrella and about how promise of life was tucked under it and the heavy, heavy rain was falling and you were dry and safe. I shared that with you. That was a word from God. Then on Wednesday, the vlog, I just didn't expect him to speak to me, but he started talking to me about some of them. I can, I've been blessing them to a, as far as I can, but I want to bless them more, but I can't because they're hindered. Their faith is hindered because of their love walk. Tell them Galatians 5, 6 says faith works by love. Yes, it does. So that was a word. That was the vlog. Then Wednesday night, we preached about whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, which is 1 John 5, 4. And then I also... I also went, that was a unique service because I only had the first part ready. Sorry, I had the second part ready about King Asa, but then the Lord added supernaturally that first part by the gift of prophecy and he merged them so that they, they blended so perfectly about how we're born of God and with faith we have overcoming power and Asa as God's man, so to speak, was born of God and he said, we rest in thee, which means he had faith in God and God supernaturally caused him to overcome. Yes. And he had been seeking the Lord and 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 building and prospering before the interruption showed up. Yeah. And Hebron is a year of seeking the Lord, yes. building numbers, building prosperity in our church. And then all of a sudden an interruption shows up, an enemy shows up called coronavirus, but he had faith because he's born of God and he rested and trusted yeah. God. And not only did God overcome him, but I didn't even got to this part. I forgot. I, I didn't finish the sermon because I got so excited. But if you keep reading all the way down to the end of the chapter, the ones that he overcame, the Ethiopians, he went and he spoiled their camp. And it said that the wealth, the immense wealth that he took from their camp, the interruption caused more increase than he had before the interruption started. Do you hear? And I didn't even get a chance to say that because I got so excited. And as I was driving home, the Holy Ghost said, son, you forgot to tell them that part. I said, ah, I forgot to tell them that part. So I'm telling you now that if you read it, keep reading down the rest of that chapter, Second Chronicles chapter, I believe that's chapter 14, go down toward, not now, not now, but later on toward the end of it, you'll see that they took so much spoil from the attackers, the Ethiopians, that he was more wealthy after the attack than before the attack even happened. And that's exactly what God had said to me. You've been praying and increasing and prospering. Then an interruption happened. But because of your born of God and your faith, your rest in me, I'm going to bring you through and you're going to have more after the attack than you, would, than you had even before the attack. And that's what he said to us at the very beginning. He said, believe me, for more in the, in the, in the, in the church coffers after this than you would have even had had this not happened. 
and then he gave me the scripture through Asa to back that up. It's wonderful when God gives me scripture to back up the spoken word because I like to have it backed up as much as I can with scripture. So that was, that was Wednesday night. You better go back and watch some of these. I'm just giving you the highlights. Watch them again. They'll build your faith. And then, of course, Friday, which was a couple days ago, I shared you a word from the book of Matthew chapter 15 about worship and its connection to faith. Worship is faith, but worship also will bring a clarity so that you know what type of operation of faith you need for the trouble and the situation that you're facing. And we shared about the Syrophoenician woman, and that was a word from God, and now we're here to today. And the word for today that he said is this season is to be marked by strength, faith that overcomes, according to 1 John 5, 4, nothing but victory. Nothing. We're not accepting anything but victory. My little ring here, my family crest, it says, uh, can I read it to you? Sans Dieu rien. French translator, what does that mean? Sans Dieu rien. Without God, nothing. Am I saying it right? Come up here and tell us. What, no, no, no. Come up here. Pass him the microphone. Because he's fluent in French, and Air Canada wants to hire him to be, uh, to be uh, you know, one that makes the announcements at the end of the flight, but they can't have him. I won't, I won't let them take him. So what is that? Sans Dieu, rien. Oh, so I didn't say it right. Sans Dieu, rien. Rien. It's got this sound to it. Sans Dieu, rien. It means without God, nothing. But we could take the reverse of my field family crest, with God, everything. In other words, nothing but victory when you've got God. Hallelujah. So that's the, that's the word for today. Now, are, are you, are you, the, two, the two congregation members present, uh, are you bored or are you okay? You're all right, because if you're bored, then you can just go to the green room and just pray in the Holy Ghost. Because I, I keep looking at you, but i got to focus on the camera here. Jenny's so pretty, I, I just... I can't get, anyway, praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, I want to share, he said this to me, this season should be marked by strength. I expect it to be marked by strength. But then, Jenny, he gave me an illustration. And uh, he doesn't always do this, but sometimes he does. And he'll use a natural thing as, a, as an example, as a, as a type and shadow of a spiritual truth. And many times he does that. Jesus said, look at the birds. He was using a natural, natural element to explain spiritual truth. Farming and running and, and fighting, soldiering. He uses these natural things, the armor of God. Those are natural things that Paul was using to explain a spiritual truth. So God, God brought my mind instantly. Like I, wasn't, I didn't have to think about it. He, just, he brought it to me. So I knew it was from him because I wasn't thinking about this any more than I was thinking about the moon. But he brought the scene to me, Jenny. And there was a show I watched years ago, and it was it was a it was a it wasn't a documentary, but it was it was a it was a show about the French. I love history. I know I'm a nerd, but it was about the French Indian War. That was about in the 1750s, give or take. And this is when this is before the Americans fought against the English in the 1776, before the Declaration of Independence. This is about about 20 years or so earlier than that. And Britain and France were fighting a war for the continent, not for Canada but for the United States area. They were both fighting each other. And the local uh, settlers, the, what would eventually become the Americans, they fought on the side of the British predominantly, and the native Indian people predominantly fought on, on the side of the French. And so they were fighting this very violent war. And a lot of it, really most of it, almost all of it took place not very far from here. It took place in upstate New York. If you look just in upstate New York, that's where all of that was happening. Albany and all those places is where they were fighting this French-Indian War. And there was, a, there was a scene in this show that I was watching. And the man with, they had these long, you know, like it's with the ramrod. I mean, it's a long time ago. But they had these long, they had these long rifles, right? They would use for hunting and different things. But uh, he was trying, there was a man that was running with a message. He had to get the message to one of the generals because they were under siege and they needed reinforcements. So the man was running. And of course, there's all these guys, Indians and everybody, Frenchmen hiding in the thickets that were, anybody that tried to leave this fort, they would kill them. And so the man's taking his life in his own hands, but he's a runner. <laughs> That's what you have to do. That's not a very good job. Taylor, don't ever become a runner, brother. Uh, if you're a runner, we're runners in Hebron. If you're a runner, 
corner, you got a bad job because, I mean, they kill you and you got to get through this, what they call the skirmish lines. You've got to get through the skirmish lines to get free of the skirmish lines so that you can get out of the danger zone and then run with your message. There's no phones or nothing. And you've got to get the message because if they don't get the message, they're all going to die. And so the guy is covering the runner from the top of the fort and he's got this long rifle. And of course the guy's running, but there's skirmishers all the way around up to a certain place and it's a f- quite a far distance and the guns don't reach typically that distance. So what he did, which was, which was ingenious and it's historically very accurate, is he took silk. He took a piece of silk. Now what they would do is they would put that gunpowder and then they would put what they would call some kind of fabric, a wad, and they would stuff that down with the ramrod and then they would put the ball down. Because if the gunpowder is there without something, some kind of a fabric blocking it between the fabric, between the gunpowder and the ball, when the gunpowder explodes, it doesn't have as the, the force is dissipated. It's not focused. And so the ball will come out, but it won't go very far. And when it hits you, it just probably bounce off you. So we're having that, that fabric there. It, when that explosion happens, it, it pushes, it hits that fabric and it creates forward momentum to force that ball out of that barrel like this is before modern modern uh, modern bullets and to force it so that its propulsion and projection is very powerful now the thinner are you following me the thinner the weave of the fabric the less the less focused the energy was from the explosion because the energy is dissipating so the thicker the tighter the weave of that fabric the energy cannot dissipate as much, so it just is forced to go through it. And, fo- and so the thicker, the tighter the weave, the more that ball that they're shooting, that bullet, the faster and the further it would go and the more dangerous it would be. But the guy can't reach because the skirmishers are so far out, the regular rifles can't really reach that distance. So he took a piece, he took silk, which has a very tight weave, and he would cut those, that silk up and he would use that silk as the wadding instead of the regular fabric they would normally use. And the guy says to him in the show, he says, what, why are you using silk? And he says, because of the tightness of the weave, he said, I'll get an extra 30 yards because of the silk. 30 extra yards of distance in the shot versus a lesser tight, a thinner weave, not so tight of a weave. And so he, he took, and then he, of course, you know, the gun is shooting further and he, he's shooting all the skirmishers and he's got multiple guns so he'll shoot. They'll pass him another one because there's only one shot per gun and they, he, he kills all those guys that are trying to stop the runner and the runner gets through and anyway, long story, whatever else doesn't matter. The point is God brought back to me, Jennifer, about this silk weave and I knew it was from the Holy Ghost because I know what it's, I know that sense when he's talking to me and he brought that to me and I said, Lord, why are you why are, you, uh, why are you saying that to me? Why are you showing me this? And the Holy Ghost spoke to me. Now, this is the, the main word I've already given you. I expect this to be a season marked by strength. But he said this to me, and this is really what I wanted to share with you for the message this morning. He said, just as the silk being a tight weave caused the projectile, the ball, to go further he said, so when people in your church come together in a tightness of unity, oh, yeah. a real tight, yeah. tight weave, that meaning not, not, not just lax, right. not a fabric that's separated, but a, what they would call a tight weave. Silk is a very tight weave and it causes the power to, to, to focus more and it causes that thing to go further and be more deadly. And the Lord said to me, if the congregation would be tighter, would be in more unity, would be in more one-mindedness and one accord, then my power, his power is the gunpowder, the explosion of his power. Then when I say something and when I move because of their unity, the vision, which is the projectile, can go further, can go faster and can be more effective. For them, the ball had to be more deadly. For us, the vision has to be more effective. In other words, God can get more done. God has power, explosive power, miracle working power. That's what what a miracle means, really. It's more dynamis, where you get the word dynamite. What is dynamite? An explosion. 
That's where the root comes from the word miracle. God has miracle explosive power like that gunpowder, but he needs before the vision, you don't just have gunpowder and vision. You don't just have his miracle power and vision. You've got to have a wad there, a packing, and the tighter the unity of that weave, the more that vision will go further and faster. It won't just come out and then spiral left or come out and drop after 50 feet. It will hit the target and it will be strong and accurate, but it's not based on the gunpowder and it's not based on the ball. It's not based on God's power. He's already given us the power. And it's not based on the ball because God's already given us the vision. It's hindered. It's dependent on the type of weave. You can have great gunpowder and a great ball and not accomplish what it needs to accomplish without the weave. It's got to have a tight weave. So I've got the power of God and I've got God speaking to me, the vision of God. I've got the gunpowder and I've got the ball. But unless I have a tight weave of unity from the congregation, the vision can't go where it needs to go. That's a word from God. That is a word from God. Praise the Lord. So we're going to come out of this stronger. And then he also said this to me. He said, the devil is trying to fray the fabric. You ever seen fabric and, you know, you keep, wearing on it and wearing on it and then it starts to fray and then once that starts to fray it causes uh it 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 breaks down the integrity of the entire structure and the lord said that to me he said the enemy this he's so shared about that silk weave and then he said these words the enemy is trying to fray the fabric of your congregation but if they'll just stay close to me and stay together and with you remember what he said to isaac stay put And so, if you'll just stay with Jesus, keep your relationship with him strong, the chief shepherd, stay with me, the under shepherd, stay with each other as congregation members, stay in divine weaved unity. If you'll do that, there'll be no, he's trying to fray the fabric, but he can't fray it if you're tight together. You really only fray fabric that has, that is loose. You can't get to fray fabric that is not loose, but when it's loose, it's frayed. But when it's tight weaved, it's there for the power of God with the unity of the people to push that vision, that ball out the barrel and cause it to become effective. So the enemy's trying to use the season to fray, but it's not going to work. And he gave me two scriptures for this. Genesis, uh, sorry, Romans 8.28. Read that with me. Romans 8.28. It's 1133. We're doing good on time. I'm not done, so just be patient with me. But we will be done on time. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. He gave me these scriptures regarding this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. They don't all work for good, Jenny, to ones that don't love God. They don't all work together for good to the ones that don't know his purpose and their call, his calling on their life. But remember, there's qualifications here. You're going to have victory if you're born in the spirit and you have faith. But here, things are going to work together if you do two things. One, you've got to love God. Well, that's all of us. Two, you've got to know the purpose that you're called for. What does that mean? If you know the purpose that you're called for, you know the vision. What does purpose mean? It means the vision. You know the vision that God's given you for your personal family and life and finances and business and all the stuff that God's personally called you, given you a vision, given you a purpose to accomplish. And you know the vision because you're not isolated. You're part of a local body called Promise of Life. You know the vision or the purpose that God's called you to accomplish here within Promise of Life Church. You know the vision of the church. You know what we're going. We know, you know what we're saying. And if you love God and you know what you're called, the purpose that you're called to, you know, the purpose you're called to privately. And you know, the purpose that you're called to corporately. When you got those two things, we all got the first one down pat. We all love God, but you got to know the vision, know the purpose, know your personal purpose and know the purpose of this local church. Know what God's calling you to do, the vision he's given you personally for your family and know the vision that your personal vision works with, with the vision for this local church. Now, if you've got those two things, all things work together for good. That means this scenario will turn for your good. The devil is trying to fray it, but no, it's going to work for your good. You're going to come out more blessed than before if you 
Stop the fraying by staying tightly knit and knowing the vision. Amen. Because you've got to love God and you've got to know the vision. If you love God, you know the vision, things work out. If you love God but you don't know the vision, things don't necessarily work out because there's two qualifications in the scripture. Love God and know the vision. So if you love God and you don't know the vision, you're going to be frayed. But if you love God and you know the vision and you come in unity with that vision, you're a tight weave and you're going to cause that vision to go forth and God will make sure things work for the good for you. You take care of his house, I promise you, he will not leave you and your house out. Praise God. The second verse he gave me for this was the book of Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. This is Joseph's talking to his brothers. And I want you to hear what he says here. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass all it is this day to save much people alive. Meaning you intended this for bad, but God had a plan throughout your bad plans. God had a higher plan that you didn't even know about, not only to bless me, but to save an entire nation Amen. from famine. Because remember, he saw and they saved the grain and they were all saved in the seven years of, of, of lack. So what the devil means for bad what bad people mean for bad, what coronavirus intends for bad, God will turn for good because he's got a plan through this. This is not his plan. This is not something he initiated. This is something he has permitted because, because God permits certain things, but he did not, he did not originate this, yeah. but he is permitting this. But as there was a negative, so-called a negative with, jo with Joseph, it turned for good and many people were helped. And with us, it's going to turn to our good. Why? Because if you love God and you know the vision, Amen. he's going to make sure things work to your good. He is going to make sure of it. If you don't know the vision or you don't love God, you'll be frayed. The fabric will be frayed. Yeah. The threads will become loose. But if you know God and you know the vision personally and the vision of this local church and you stay in tight weaved unity with me, no fraying can happen. Then the power, explosive miracle power of God snaps. The unity of the congregation causes that vision, the ball to propel forward and it will come to pass. And God will make sure that if that comes to pass for the organization, he'll make sure it comes to pass for you individually. That's why he said it will work for the good. Amen. Praise God. So, amen. I'm giving you some few little nuggets here. So we're going to come out of this. Yes. We're going to come out of this with more finances, yes. like Asa. We're going to come out of this with more unity, amen. like the silk tight weave. We're going to come out of this with more health. <laughs> We're going to come out of this running faster because he called us runners in Hebron. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're going to come out of this. But remember, know the vision. Love God, know the vision. Stay put. So. Born of the Spirit, have faith. You see these twins? You're born of the Spirit, you have faith, you overcome. You love God, you know the vision, it's going to work to your good. Now, stay put and sow, and you're going to reap. That's Isaac, Genesis 26. So regarding this, now, I, I, I said I had an announcement to make, which I'm going to make now. And I said, dear God, how am I supposed to make, how am I supposed to make that announcement? I, I really didn't want to make this announcement. I'm, I'm making this under protest. <laughs> but I yield my vessel to the Holy Ghost. Uh, even this morning, I said, you sure? So anyway, uh, so, but I'm making this announcement and I said, Lord, how? Okay, I'll, I'll yield, I'll do it. But when do I do it? I don't know, how do I fit this in somewhere? And he said, he spoke to me. He said, when you, when you finish talking about, I expect this season to be done in strength. How did he exactly, the phrase that he used it? This season is to be marked by strength. And if they'll be born of the spirit and have faith, there'll be victory. Yes. If they know the vision, because remember, there's a tight weave required unity. And there's a fraying that will happen if you're not in unity. But Romans 8, 28, if you love God and you know the vision and you stay in unity with that vision, God will see things to your good. Amen. And number three, the third twin, if you just stay put with, the, with Jesus, with me as your pastor, and with the love for the congregation, just stay put because he's prepared a place for you here. He's prepared increase for you. He's prepared increase. What does that mean, Jenny? If somebody has prepared a prank, what have they done? They've set that person up. Yeah. He's prepared a place like he did for Isaac, what was required, sowing. Yeah. So when he 
has prepared something for you. He requires you to do your part so that he set, if you'll do your part, he's prepared it. He set you up for a miracle. So he said to me, I want you to tell the congregation this, and there's a couple of reasons why uh, he wanted me to tell you. One of them, he only told me as I was getting in the car driving down this morning. I didn't even know it until that moment. I'd already yielded my will. I'd already decided to do it. I already knew where or how I was going to transition into it and when I was going to tell you. But one of the main reasons he didn't even tell me until I was driving. That's just the way the Lord works sometimes. But basically, this is what he said. He said, I want you to tell the congregation about the building fund and about what you're believing me for. And I said, no, Lord, that's not the appropriate time. I said, I'm using, I'm using my faith just to believe you for that 35,000 a week. I'm using my faith just so that our regular budget is met, not our emergency budget. I said, Lord, ah, and the people are using their faith just to, you know, just to get through the scenario and, and to keep sowing and to keep the church running smoothly. I said, Lord, now why? Why would you be talking about something more? I don't think they can handle that. And I love them and I'm their pastor and I don't think they can handle that. I'm just talking, I'm an honest person. I said, God, why would you have me talk about more money in a building offering when we're just trying to get through this situation? I don't think they can handle that. And he spoke to me and he said, you don't know what they can handle. That's what he said to me. You don't know what they can handle. You feel they can't handle it, but you don't know what they can handle. And he repeated the same thing. He said again, I expect this season to be marked by strength. So as by faith, I want you to tell them, don't pressure them. Don't manipulate them, but just communicate to them. It's not my job to get you to do anything. It's my job to cast the vision. I've got a ball. The power of God is in the gun. I need your unity so that the vision that I'm talking about with your unity and his power backing us up will go out. And he did not say this to me, Jenny, until I was driving. You were in the car with me. But when, when, then he, he spoke it to me just before I got in the car. And I said, remember, I said to you, honey, I got I to gotta record. I got to use my voice recorder and write this down so I don't forget it. But this is what he said to me even, as I, even before I got in the car this morning. He said, you've been believing for this, haven't you, son? I said, yes, sir. He said, but have you noticed that there hasn't been, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to explain that. It's like the ball goes out 50 feet, Taylor, and it drops. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah, Lord, I've, I've been believing you for this for now three months. But, because that's when he first told me about it. But no, two months. That's when he first told me about it before this corona thing ever happened. I said, but Lord, I don't know, it just feels like I'm believing. But I, I, don't, have, I don't have distance. And, and he said, do you want to know why you feel that way? I said, yes, Lord, because it's been bothering me. I thought maybe I'm failing, it, failing in some area because I feel like I'm shooting the gun, Jenny, but the ball goes out 50 feet and drops, but it's supposed to go 300 feet. Yeah. But I'm doing everything I know to do. And so I'm doing my part, but I feel like there's no distance with this vision ball. And he said, do you want to know? He said this to me just before we got in the car. He said, in my spirit, he said, do you want to know why? I said, yes, sir, I really do because it's been bothering me for weeks. I've been feeling that I've been failing. I've been missing it somewhere. And this is what he said to me. He said, the reason the ball's falling after 50 feet, that he knows, knows I know what he means. He said, because you got no wadding. And the natural, you put a ball in that thing, in that chamber with just gunpowder, it just, it goes, but it... He said, it's the wadding. It's the silk wadding that causes that pressure to push that ball out and go the distance. And I got it. He didn't even have to explain it. I knew exactly what he meant. The reason it's falling after 50 feet in your faith, son, is because you're the only one believing. Yeah, amen. You don't have the congregation behind you. You're using your faith, and your faith can take it 50 feet, but you need all of their faith coming together. Yeah. Your little faith is very thin wadding. It's, it's not enough. It's just going out a little bit. But if you get all of them to agree with you, now you don't just have tight wadding, you have the ultra silk tight weave and it will cause that vision to go the 300 feet and further. That's, right. the re that's what he told me, I'm telling you. He said, the reason you've been struggling with this is because you've been believing alone and you won't tell them. Now, this is be long before Corona, before Randy came. Yeah. God had been dealing with me, tell the people, tell the people, tell the people. And I kept arguing and saying, I don't want to tell the people. I don't want to tell the people. I don't think they can handle it. And I even told Arrow one day, I'm going to announce it today. And then I didn't. 
And I had to call him on the way home and say, I'm sorry, Brother Errol. I know I said I would, but I got cold feet. I don't think the people can handle it. This is all in February before Randy came. And I, and I knew I had to say it, but I've been believing. I've been believing, Jenny, but the ball just keeps falling. And he said to me this morning, the reason it keeps falling is because you got no unity. There's no wadding. You're believing alone. Your faith is taking it 50 feet, but it needs to go 300 feet, son. And you got to get the congregation behind you in their faith, and then you'll see this thing work. So I, he, he's been dealing with me most of last week to talk about this today. And I've still been arguing with him because I don't want to hurt you. And I don't want to pressure you. And I don't want to manipulate you. And I, wa I want you to see my heart. But he said to me, you don't know what they can handle. Your job is to tell them the vision, not to force it on them. My job is to speak to hearts. Oh, Taylor, when he said that, I felt this weight just go, shh. See, the devil doesn't want me to say it. The devil is putting this weight on me. My own carnality is putting this weight on me and I keep arguing and getting in my thought life and my mental arena and fighting God. But what God's trying to get, he's trying to get past me. If Jesus could appear or have an angel tell you, he probably would because I can be the stumbling block sometimes. But my love for you and not wanting to uh, offend anybody is, it makes me very, very reluctant to talk about these, especially at a time of coronavirus. It's hard enough to say it when the church is full let alone when there's nobody here and you're watching. Can you understand, put yourself in my shoes, how I would struggle with this? But the Lord said to me, if you don't get their faith behind you, this won't, this won't happen. The ball won't go. And you don't know what they can handle, so don't start thinking that you know what they can handle. You don't know them. I know them. And thirdly, it's not you pressuring them. You just tell them, let me deal with their hearts. I'll talk to them. And then he said this, like I talked to you. So let me read this quote. Can I read the quote to you? Because he had to talk to me because I was nervous about doing this. He said, you're not pressuring them, son. You're just casting the vision. I'll speak to their hearts. Son, I've already started talking to many regarding larger amounts. Like I told you, the larger amount for your seed. So tell them what the vision is and what you're believing me for. And leave it between them and me because what a testimony it will be to my goodness and my power that in a time of famine, yes. not only did the money come in for one building, but the money came in for two. Amen. That's right. So now the cat's out of the bag. That cat's out of the bag. Let me say it again. You're not pressuring them. So, oh, when he said this, Taylor, all oh, that pressure lifted off me because I, I don't want people to feel pressured. Lord, they can't handle it. They can't handle it. You don't know what they can handle, and you're not pressuring them. You're not pressuring them, son. You're just casting the vision. I'll speak to their hearts. Son, I've already started talking to many regarding larger amounts, like I told you about your larger seed. So tell them what the vision is and what you're believing for and leave it between them and me. Because what a testimony it will be to my goodness and my power that in a time of famine, not only did the money come in for one building, but for two. Now, what does he mean by that? This is what I want to tell you. I've been believing God for since last April, but I really started aggressively believing him in January. We bought that hanger. That hanger cost $203,400, okay? We borrowed the money to do that, but I knew we weren't supposed to borrow it long-term because I don't believe in paying interest on that and we need to pay it off. And the Lord gave me permission because of the time sensitivity, it would have gone in a matter of days. So he said, borrow the money and do it, but I want you to believe me to pay it off very, very quickly. So I said, okay. So I was believing him in general, Jenny, all that last year, but not aggressively until January. In January, I started aggressively believing him to pay that, that, that hanger off, but the ball kept falling because I didn't realize until this morning, because I don't have the congregation in unity behind me, um, that vision can't go forth. That's why I got to tell you not to press you, but to cast the vision and let God deal with you. So we get an HST return on what, on what we do because we're a charity, okay? So there's a certain percentage we get back from the government. That check came in in January, and that check was for about $20,000, about $20,000 that they give us back because we had paid HST on that property. So that dropped, when you take that money and we put that to, to help pay that debt back, that dropped it from 203 to 183,400. Mm. 
okay? 183.4. So then I said, now, Lord, now, before Randy even came, the Lord said to me, you told the congregation 200 last year, 200 this year, remember? You got extra money last year. You got over 200, 258 or whatever it was. And he said, so this year, 256. So this year, it was supposed to be 144 thousand because we got more money than we thought we'd get last year. So I told you 144. But then Bob, who still hasn't given us anything in writing, has given us a verbal agreement of a higher price than he agreed to last year. But at least it's a verbal agreement because he hasn't given us any agreement until recently, a verbal agreement. The higher price requires us to raise it from 144 to 200, which is okay because I told you 200 last year and I told you 200 this year. Even though we did raise a bit more, we're still raising the same amount that I said because with his verbal increase, it still comes out to needing 200. But then the Lord dealt with me in January, Jenny, and he said, I want you to, I told you to pay that hanger off. I said, well, Lord, let's just get the building in our name and then we'll pay the hanger off. Let's do one step at a time. Then, then the more I realized how much Bob is dragging his feet, then the Lord started dealing with me. I want you to pay the hanger off, not after you get the building in your name. Start believing me for it now, because at this point, he didn't tell me when the building is going to get in our name because we don't know how long it's going to take Bob to make the decision. So I said in January, okay, Lord, I'm going to start believing you for $183,400 in addition to the $200,000 that we need for the building, which is $383,400. But I didn't tell anybody but my wife. I don't even think I told the staff. Did I tell the staff? I didn't even tell the staff. It was just me and Jenny, and our ball is going out 50 feet because we got no unity behind us. Then the Lord dealt with me, and he said, now you tell the congregation, and I disobeyed him. This is before Randy came, and I didn't. And then after Randy came, he said, tell the congregation. Remember, that was the first Sunday where we had a group of 50 in the morning and a group of 50 in the evening. That, that first weekend that all this happened, then I was supposed to announce it then and I disobeyed a second time and I, didn't, and I didn't do it. And then the Lord dealt with me this week and he said, I'm telling you to tell the congregation. And part of it is because I've already been talking to some of them about larger amounts and you won't because you're worrying about pressuring them, but you don't know what they can handle and what they can't handle. So just tell them and don't worry about it because they'll see your heart and let me deal with their hearts privately, what they do or what they don't do. It's between them and me anyway. So I'm just telling you so that I can get the water of unity behind that vision ball so it can go. So we're believing God for the 200, which according to the verbal agreement gets 140 in our name. Plus we're believing for 183.4 for that hangar, which is 383.4. That's what he means when he said two buildings, because what a testimony it will be to my goodness and my power that in the time of famine, not only did the money come in for one building, that's capital, but two buildings, that's the hangar. Now, Reverend Randy didn't even tell him, didn't breathe a word to him. God spoke to him privately and said, so 3,000 U.S. into this fund. 3,000 U.S. with the exchange rate came to 4,400 Canadian. So we needed 183.4, but 44 has already come in from Reverend Randy. Now we need 179 for the hangar, plus the 200 for the 140, to get it in our name, assuming that Bob keeps his verbal agreement. If he doesn't, I'll have to update you at that time, but I'm believing that he will. I'm believing in faith that he will honor his verbal agreement because he's given us a price. Right. Now, 379,000, that's what I've been believing God for alone. That is what has been on me alone since January. 300, well, it wasn't until March that I knew it was 379. In January, it was 383.4. But then in March, when Randy gave his, it became 379,000. But I've been standing and, and believing and believing and believing and believing, but I keep feeling like my faith is not, is not reaching where it needs to. I keep feeling like it was my fault, like I was doing something wrong until God spoke to me even this morning. Isn't it amazing, Jenny? He did not tell me what the problem with my faith was until I decided to obey him because I didn't obey him before. And when he told me a second time on that 50, when the 50 people were here, I didn't obey him a second time. And then this week he said, now, yeah, I said, but Lord, there's nobody here. It's even harder. He said, you should have obeyed me before. If you had obeyed me when I first told you, the whole congregation would have been present. But you didn't listen to me. Then I told you the next time when 50 people were present, he didn't listen to me again. So now I'm telling you to do it while nobody's present and they're watching, but I expect you to do it. And when I finally yielded my will and said, okay, fine, Father, I'll do it. I'll do it. Then he taught me what was wrong with my faith.
And what was wrong with my faith is that I didn't have that unity behind me, that wad of silk, that tight weave is not behind me. But if you'll just get in agreement with me and you'll get in unity with me, the ball of this vision of the 379,000, it's gone. And he said to me, <laughs> and he said to me, I've already been dealing with some of them. In fact, he said many of them about larger amounts like I did with your seed. Now, let me tell you this. God's been messing with me and my wife. He's messing with us. But you know what he's doing? He's setting us up. Amen. He's prepared a place for me, but he expects me to sow. And so let me tell you this. Uh, he, he dealt with me to sow four seeds, one into Pastor Nancy, one into Reverend Greer, and one into Brother Jerry, and a, thir a fourth seed into our congregation, into our church. As a, as, a, as a sacrificial seed during this time, coronavirus. Nothing to do with the building fund. And that added up to quite a bit of money that I'll be honest with you, I just thought, Lord, I don't think this is the right time. Yeah. This is not the right time. And he brought me back to that verse and he said, wouldn't Isaac have said the same thing? Yeah, said this the same is thing. not the time. Right. We're in famine. <laughs> but he said, now you do these four seeds. Why? Because I've prepared a place of blessing. What is he saying? I'm setting you up, son. Right. And then he reminded me, he said, do you remember the seed you sowed in the Mississauga miracle, which was also significant? And I said, yeah. He said, now, did you, did you not forget that I set you up for a miracle there? In fact, I set you up for three miracles. What am I talking about? That Mississauga miracle seed, which was years before, long time before, over a year, year and a half before, year and a half before we needed the, the before we got the harvest on that. But God did three miracles. He kept the house off the market. Because the day, the day I signed, within an hour, there was a flood of people trying to buy it at higher than what the people were even asking. That was a miracle. Number two, he lowered the price to within our budget, which was another miracle. That was all part of the first one. Number, the second one is that he caused us to get financing for that, which the mortgage broker said she's never seen. That happened ever in her career on the curve. That was a miracle. And number three, he caused us, it was all dependent on selling our house in Brampton, and he caused it to sell in, what was it, Wednesday at 5 until Friday at 7. So 50 hours, the house was sold. And other houses had been on our street for sale for weeks, no bites. And in 50 hours, ours was done. Above asking price. That's a miracle. He said, you sold that seed. Are you listening to me? I was setting you up, Craig. I prepared a place of blessing called your new home. But I needed you to sow. So you sowed, and 18 months later, I gave you a three-miracle harvest. Now, he said, I'm telling you to do the same thing. But I've got to be honest with you, congregation. There's a feeling that I get. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. I don't know. But there's a feeling in my stomach, Reverend Taylor, when God tells me an amount that is a stretch, <laughs> there's a feeling I get in my stomach like, like a sick feeling almost. And when God said, I want you to sow, and he told me the amount of those four seeds, I thought, Oh, my God, this is not the right time. There's a feeling I get down in here. It's like, but you know, let me tell you that I've learned that that's a good feeling because what that feeling shows is that it's yes. sacrificial. Yes. Because if, if I don't get any kind of a, then it shows that I don't, it's nothing. It's comfortable. Yeah. It's, comfortable. Yeah. it's easy. But when I sacrifice and I'm stretched, not to the breaking point, but stretched in my faith. He won't lead you beyond what your measure can handle, beyond what your stretch can handle. But he was leading me right to my edge. And then I feel like, oh God, are you sure? Oh God, are you sure? But then once you accept it, then you get in joy about it. Then it's like, praise God. I've just sowed a seed in famine. God's setting me up for another miracle. Amen. And that was just in this season. But then, uh, back in January, when I was praying for this 383,400, he said to me, he told my, me an amount to sow for the building fund. And then he told my wife an amount. And uh, it's the largest seed we've ever sowed, ever. And I said, I had that feeling, oh God. <laughs> and it took me a few days to get over that feeling because I was fighting it. I said, God, I've saved this money this is my money. <laughs> this is my money. I've saved that money. When I saw the people go and buy things, I, I remember I was in Louis Vuitton and Brother Ramos was buying something and I thought, I'm not buying anything. I'm 
saving my money. You know, you feel like you get this. I've been saving it like you're some saint or martyr or something. It's my money. You don't understand. I've been watching it and I've been stroking it and I've been saying I love you and I've been singing <laughs> lullabies at night to it. It's my money. Don't you ask me to give that. That's my money. It's not even from my family budget. It's mine. Jenny has hers. I have mine. Don't touch my money. And he said, no, I'm not talking about your family budget. I'm talking about your, your money, the one that's in the secret place of the most high flesh, like Bob Lemon would say. And he asked me to give a large amount. And I struggled with it until finally the Holy Ghost said to me, I'm setting you up, son. Don't fight me when I'm setting you up. I'm trying to bless you. You're looking at what you're, like it's leaving your life. It's not leaving your life. It's leaving your hand, but it's going into the soil and it's going to come back into your hand. Amen. So I want you to know that my wife and I, and leading by example, are sowing what for our lives is a very generous seed for our building fund toward that 379. And even in this season, I've been sowing generous seed to my pastor to my two people that are like spiritual fathers and to our church budget. I've been sowing, gen- I'm not, I'm living this. I wouldn't ask you to do something I wasn't doing. But that's why God said to me, he said, I've already been talking to congregation members about larger amounts like I talked to you. Now you understand what I meant by that. Because he dealt with me about a larger amount. I'm setting them up for a miracle and I'm setting you up for a miracle. But if you don't get that tight weave of unity, this vision can't go forward. So tell the people, but Lord, they can't handle. You don't know what they can handle. Tell the people and take the pressure off you. You're not manipulating them. You're not, you're you're not pressuring them. You're just casting the vision. Leave it between me and them, and I will speak to the heart. Some of you, he'll speak uh, 500. Some of you, 1,000. Many of you will be in the 1,000. Some of you could be 30 or 50 or even 100. I don't know. It's between God and you, and God knows what is a sacrifice for you, and he knows what isn't. But like David said to Ornan, I must pay full price. Be it far from me to take for the Lord what costs me nothing. I will pay full price. So I am paying full price for this building fund according to my measure of faith according to the effectual working of my part. Remember Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 that where every joint supplies according to the effectual measure of the working of every part cause increase to the body. I have an effectual working that is in the measure of my part, Taylor, and you have an effectual working of the measure of faith of your part, and our dollar value may be different, but what you're doing is your effectual working. What I'm doing is my effectual working, and when every joint brings their supply of their effectual working, what happens? There is increase in the body under the edifying of itself in love. We want promise of life to increase. I don't want to be paying no money to no demon-possessed person. I want to pay that, that hanger off because it's God's hanger and he shouldn't be paying interest to no devil. So I'm asking you and I'm quite, now I feel that gift of faith. This is what I said. The Lord spoke to me earlier. He said, when you talk about it, the gift of faith will come on you. And I just felt that come on me. It doesn't happen very often, but I'm saying it in the name of Jesus. The 379,000 that we need, I call you met. I call you in. I command you to be fulfilled. I command that need to be filled in Jesus' name. And I thank you for the gift of faith behind it, Father. And I release that power now. Lord, they're in unity with me. And the power, explosive dunamis of God is with their unity. And the ball of vision will go forth. And the 200 we need and the 179 we need for not one building but two as a great testimony to your goodness is coming and I call it met in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father. My God, hallelujah. My God, when I was praying, Jenny, at the beginning of service and I was saying out those, those gifts of the Spirit, I heard the Holy Ghost say, when you talk about the finances, the gift of faith will come on you. Now, he rarely tells me that. But I felt as soon as I, just, I could feel it, it just fell on me and then it lifted off me. It came on me and I, and I prayed that prayer as soon as I was in, it lifted off me. That means it's going to come to pass. But God's going to use you. If you refuse to listen, he'll have to use somebody else. But I believe he wants to use you because he's setting you up for a miracle. Amen. Woo, Glory. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm just kind of getting over that for a second because that's a supernatural experience. So Lord, I thank you. It all come to pass. Don't be pressured. Listen to the Holy Ghost. Listen to the Holy Ghost. Do what's in your heart. 
So Isaac didn't even need God to speak to him. He just sowed. But in the New Testament, that's, that's the truth of that. That's measure of that. That's true. You don't even technically need God to speak to you. Just so, but be led by the spirit. Let God speak to you the amount, especially if it's larger so that you know it's him. You release your faith because he's setting you up for a hundredfold harvest or for a harvest that is large. Let me put it that way so that you don't put a number on it. He's setting you up for an abundant harvest. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. So congregation, he expects us the season to be marked by strength. I think the fact that he's asking me to tell the congregation to believe for two buildings, not one during famine, <laughs> that is definitely a mark of strength. That is the opposite of what a weak faith, a, a weak willed and a, and, a, and, a, and a spineless pastor would tell you. I'm just charging ahead and I'm asking you to believe. Now listen, we're going to postpone the receiving of that offering until we meet in person. But many of you, in fact, somebody called me, Jenny, I won't say their name, but somebody called me this week. I, I guess they had my cell phone and, uh, and they called me and they said, Pastor, I got my taxes and uh, I want to give part of it. Actually, they said half of it, but whatever it is, I don't even know what the amount is, but they said, I want to give toward the building fund. And, and I said, well, we're going to postpone the collecting of it until after the Corona is over. And this person said, Pastor, if I don't give that money this week, I'm going to be tempted to spend it. So I'm coming in to bring it. And I said, okay, just mark it clearly that it's for the building fund and you can bring that in and drop it in the box. So that I want you to spend it and be tempted to spend it. So some of you might be in that boat. If you can't wait till we receive it, then bring it in or push the give button and give it now. But if you can wait, or if, you, if you're waiting for it to manifest or you're waiting for some other, whatever you need for it to come in, we're gonna postpone the gathering of that until all this is over. And since we don't know when that will be, hopefully it will be in, in May. I'm trusting we'll be meeting in May and that will take the offering probably at the end of May because we need to get the hanger paid off and we need enough money so that as soon as Bob says, go for it, we've got all the money to say, thank you, sir. We take the building in our name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Now, what did God say? He said, I expect, he said, this season is to be marked by strength. Faith that overcomes according to 1 John 5, 4, nothing but victory. Two buildings, not one at a time of famine. Why? Because we have the wadding of unity with the power of God to cause the vision of the 379 and the 30,000 a week, 35,000 a week to go forth. I got your unity. Don't keep giving your tithes and offerings faithfully and don't be pressured with the building. Just do what God says. You want to give it now? Give it. You want to wait till we meet together in person? That's fine. But start to pray and see what God says. Because he told me, Jenny, I don't know who he's talking about, but he said, I am talking to many hearts about larger amounts than they would normally give. And he said, just like you, because that was a much larger amount than we've ever given. So he said, I'm dealing. He didn't say everybody, but he said, I'm dealing with many. So uh, you, want, you want God to set you up for a miracle? Then I would, I would listen to him. Praise God. Amen. Let me, I'm going to close now, but let me just read you this one very short, uh, very short uh, prophecy, which Reverend Sandy sent me that was on a website that she found. This was done by, given by David Wilkerson, which was a great man of God back in 1986. Was that the guy at the cross and the switchblade gentleman? Was that the same person that did that book? I think so. This is what he said in 1986. How many years ago was that, Taylor? 96, 2006, 2016. That's 34 years ago. 34 years ago, David Wilkerson prophesied, I see a plague coming on the world, and the bars, the churches, and the government will shut down. The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it has never been shaken. The plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer and into their Bibles. And repentance will be the cry from the man of God in the pulpit. And out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. I believe that what he was seeing was what we're experiencing now. That there is a plague that's causing people to shake, but it's going to cause people to come back to prayer. It's going to cause people to press into God all the more. And that's what's happening with us. And we're pressing, not just this, but we've been pressing into God more since Hebron started. But of course, we're pressing into God even more now. But out of it is going to come a great move of God, I believe. And I'll talk a little bit about that more uh, 
probably Wednesday night. I, I, I think I'm going to share Randy's word, Dr. Dufresne's word of prophecy, which I also want to read you something Dr. Dufresne said prophetically and something God was dealing with me about prophetically. I'll probably share all that with you on Wednesday night. And on Monday night, we're going to do David Hogan's video and we're going to pray. I'll share with a little bit about prayer. Wednesday night, I'll share with you what Randy said, what Dr. Dufresne said and what God's been dealing with me about the season and particularly what's going on with this coronavirus season and how it relates to to the bigger picture. So that's going to be very interesting. Don't forget to tune in Wednesday. Friday, we're going to have a special communion and Easter and, and Good Friday service. Sunday, invite two or three people. Do it today and let's get a good, wonderful group of people watching that need healing and the power of God will flow on Easter Sunday, resurrection morning. Praise God. We have a great week ahead of us, Jenny. Praise God. And I love you. And the 379 is coming in. It's already done. It's as good as done in Jesus' name. It's as good as done in Jesus' name. So Father, I bless them. I thank them now. I thank you for them and I thank them for their faithfulness of watching, attending, giving, praying, evangelizing, because calling people about next Sunday is part of evangelism. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for every single one of them. Lord, I bless their families. I apply the precious blood of Jesus over their homes, over their cars, a bloodline around everything they own on every side, over their children, over their, themselves, from the crown of their heads to the soles of their feet. I thank you, Lord, that the blood keeps plague out. The blood keeps demons out. The blood keeps harassment out. Father, I thank you that we are safe under the umbrella of your power. I thank you that they have received the word that I've given them today, that you expect the season to be marked by victory, faith that overcomes the world according to 1 John 5, 4, nothing but victory. So I thank you, Father, that this season is marked by it, that, Lord, you've taught me about that weave of unity and that the fraying will come if they don't know the vision and if they don't love you, but if they love you and they know the vision and they'll stay with me in that tight weave of unity, it will work to their good and it will cause that vision to go forth strong. Father, I thank you that they're staying put and they're sowing. I thank you that they're born of the Spirit and because they have faith, they're overcoming the world. I give you glory for it. I give you praise for it. And I bless everyone that's watching. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.